Well, hey, this is your first time. Uh, I'm excited. We're in a fun, I'm really enjoying this series. It's titled Jesus Always. Everybody say Jesus Always. The heart of this series really is we're looking through Genesis through Revelation, and we want you to understand that this book is not about principles, it's about a person, and his name's Jesus. And throughout the Word of God, there are rhythms. There are these attributes of God that the more that you understand who God is, the more you'll understand who you are. The more you understand the victory that God has um, given you, the more victory you'll actually be able to walk in. And so my prayer is, is that as we go through today's message, Jesus always the maker, the maker. Um, everybody say the maker. I'm going to do that a few more times, and then you don't have to talk anymore, I promise. Uh, but you'll look throughout Scripture. I love this rhythm. You'll, you'll see God. He, he loves to make things. He's the maker of all makers. He forms this ocean, and then he fills it with fish. He forms the sky, fills it with birds. Forms the tabernacle, fills it with furniture. Forms the Holy of Holies, fills it with his presence. Forms man, breathes his lung, fills him with his breath. Jesus comes on the scene. This is just the nature of God. Jesus keeps doing what God does because Jesus is God. Jesus comes on the scene, forms a team. It's the first church you could say, if I could put it that way. Forms a team of this ragtag group that was overlooked by society, forms the first church, and then fills them with his spirit. God forms and he fills. He takes your life and the things in your life and helps form the things in your life. I love what Jesus said when he came on the scene. The kingdom of God is at hand. AKA, the kingdom of God is here now, so now I want to form your life to look the way it's supposed to look, and then I want to fill it with all the things of the kingdom. Joy, provision, peace. This is his promise. This is how plain God makes it, how much he loves to make. You'll see this rhythm throughout scripture. Uh, Joshua uh, 3.7 shows this. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader. Make you a great leader in the eyes of all Israelites. God is in the making business. He's in the making business. But not only is he in the making business, but he gets frustrated when we deviate from his recipe. I, uh, I didn't grow up in nice restaurants. Uh, we grew up kind of poor. Um, we uh, went out to eat for the very first time as a family of six. First time we ever went out to eat at a restaurant. I was 17, junior high school. We went to Red Robin, the Dirty Bird. Anybody love Red Robin? Come on now. We're going high class that night, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, I remember going there, it was amazing. And then Rachel and I got married, and it was the first time I started going to nice restaurants. And what I didn't realize what a nice restaurant was is nice restaurants don't even have salt and pepper on the table because the chef makes it perfectly and it would be disrespectful for you to add anything to their meal. First time I really experienced this was I was in Carmel and I got a great meal and I remember asking for salt and the waiter was like, what? And I was like, again, I didn't know. I didn't know. You don't, you, you don't know what you don't know. And the guy's like, uh, the chef strongly encourages you just to eat it the way it is. And, you know, me being stubborn, like, okay, he's not eating. I mean, I would love some salt, please. So uh, stubborn Tyler wins. He brought the salt out. And I remember I actually put some salt on it. And the, the chef was actually looking at me. He was awkward. Uh, <clears throat> but took a bite. And then I was like, all right, I'm just going to try it without the salt. And it was amazing. The chef knew what he was doing. I was trying to add things I shouldn't add. I want to hear this real quick. I uh, got to go to a Michelin. I'm going to say it. I, I got, it was a gift. I got to go to a three-star Michelin restaurant. There's like only like, I don't know how many in the world. This is like a real deal. It was in San Francisco. And because I had been to the Carmel one, I remembered, okay, they're bringing out 14 dishes. There's no salt on the table. I can't ask for salt when one of my meals come. I know now. I know what I'm going to do now at this nice restaurant. And then I declared, because it was such a nice meal and somebody else was paying, whatever is in front of me, I'm going to eat it, no matter what. So the first one was out, it was amazing. It was like calamari. Second one, escargot. I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> I said I'd never have escargot. But again, I was like, all right. And I took, 
hey, not bad, not bad. 14 times, 14 things. I just decided whatever is in front of me, I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to steward it. I want you to hear this real quick. God is the maker of all makers. He's the cook of all cooks and he's going to put things in your path. And some of it you're not going to like. And you've heard me say this before, but if you have a God that uh, uh, always agrees with you, you're probably your own God. The scripture shows these things that you got to wrestle with sometimes. And, and what happens in our life is I think God puts things in our path that we have to wrestle with sometimes. He's not putting your path to punish you. He's putting your path to make you. And so <clears throat> I have this last thought. And we're going to go into prayer. And it's going to be a fun one. But uh, Jesus is so frustrated with uh, what the people are making the church and what they're making disciples that he came on the scene. And this is what he said. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the uh, benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. We will never make his house uh, something it's not supposed to be. This house is to um, make Jesus' name known, to praise Jesus, to have people come to know the name of Jesus, and for us to become more like Jesus. That's the church. And then the other thing he says, he says this to the Pharisees, the religious people, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make, everybody say make. Come on, you make them twice as much a child as hell as you are, as Jesus talking. You say, no, Mr. Rogers, he keeps it real. He says, you make them twice the child of hell as you are. You make them that way. The word hypocrites in the Gospel of Matthew is used 26 times, 16 times in the Greek. It represents the word that they used for actors back then that would paint their face with a mask to play a character. And what Jesus is saying is, you are making nobody. You are teaching them to fake it instead of make it. You're teaching them to fake their way through life instead of actually make their way through life. Your faking is doing way more harm than it is good. They, they have trials come and you're having them fake it. You have them wear these clothes, these tassels, and say these pretty fake prayers, but there is no breakthrough, there is no power in it because you're teaching them to put on a mask instead of actually being transformed by the power of God. At this church, we don't want to teach you how to fake it. We don't want you to learn how to come to church on Sunday and sit there and raise your hands or you're supposed to raise your hands and sit down where you're supposed to sit down, pray the prayer you're not supposed to pray and then leave and just fake it with all the words that you're supposed to say. But really on the inside, you are just tasting defeat after defeat. Just doesn't want to have you fake it through the storm. He actually wants to make a warrior, a victor through the storm. Let's be made by Jesus today. Time of message is the maker, the maker. Will you bow your heads? It's your first time or second time in church. I just, I pray for I pray for the person in the house, you're done wandering. You don't want to wander anymore. What I love about the, the word of God is there's this moment where Joshua comes on the scene, the people have been wandering. Well, there's new leadership. And Joshua has anointing to lead them to the promised land. Well, there's new leadership in your life and his name is Jesus. I pray for the wanderer today that you would wander no longer, but you would walk to your promise. That you would live out everything God's called you to live. Everything the enemies try to steal and destroy, guess what? God is stronger. He can take back then what he's stolen and give you more. So God, I pray my words fall to the floor and that your words soar. Oh, we need you, we need you. And everybody said? Amen. So I got a cake for Mother's Day. I don't think we're gonna be able to split it. There's not enough. Uh, so I'm gonna use it for an illustration, okay? So uh, who loves sweets? Who just loves cake? Raise your hand. Okay, who loves salts? I got a salt tooth. My salt, yeah, just give me some McDonald's fries, extra salt, nah, 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 nah. love it, okay? Um, I love chips, but I, I, to be honest, I think as I've gotten older and maturing, I'm getting a sweet tooth with my salt tooth. It's fantastic. Um, Yasso bars are destroying my life. Anyways, um, so uh, this cake is delicious. And I think we'd all want this cake. 
Just even like Joshua, the Lord says, Joshua, I'm going to make you a great leader. I think all of us love that statement, that Jesus would come into your life and say, I'm going to make you into something great. That is a desire of our heart. God getting his hands on your life, his spirit in your life to make you into something great. But then you find out what it actually is that makes cake. And I did the favor for you of trying these things uh, by themselves. Have you ever tried flour by itself? It's disgusting. It's like not even, you can't even eat it, basically. Have you ever just had a nice little shot glass of vegetable oil? Disgusting, right? Have you ever had a spoonful of sugar? It's kind of delicious, actually. That's, that's a different story. And then the frosting, yum, yum, okay? A uh, little bit of sprinkles. Butter by itself, disgusting, okay? Um, eggs by itself. Anybody who grew up watching Rocky definitely cracked an egg and swallowed an egg. That was me as a kid, Yeah. Uh, anyways, I was going to do a Rocky illustration, but it's terrible, so never mind. Uh, pure vanilla, not terrible, but not good. And then last but not least, baking soda, uh, powder. Not, yeah, I don't even know if you're supposed to eat that. Anyways, um, <laughs> these things by themselves, just gross. I could never have flour by itself. And I want you to hear this real quick. When Jesus came on the scene, I don't think he came from Nazareth on accident. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, this is what they say. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And I, I, if you had never seen cake made before, you'd say, can anything good come from flour? You've tasted flour? You'd say to me, maybe, can anything good come from betrayal? Have you ever tasted the betrayal I've tasted? Can anything come good from the wounds in my life? Can anything good come from this desert season? I mean, can anything good come from what I'm experiencing? Can anything good come from it? Yes, and his name is Jesus. This was the saying they had. And so can you imagine Joshua getting this, this declaration? I'm going to make you a great leader, Joshua. Joshua's like, I'm in. Go to Jericho. Wall. I thought you said I was going to become a great leader. The wall is a part of you becoming a great leader. And so then he walks around the wall. This delay, I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody who said, you know what? I planned my life out, and it worked exactly the way I planned it. When you find that person, you send them my way, okay? We're calling them a unicorn, all right? I've never seen anybody say that. Most people feel like their life is delayed because life has a way of feeling us delayed. Life has a way of disappointing us. Life has a way of discouraging us. But here's the deal. Life cannot destroy you. The world wants to maim you. God wants to make you. You look throughout scripture, there are people who are known for their issues and not even their name. The man of leprosy, they didn't even give him the respect of a name. His issue was his name. And what, what the world wants to do is have your issue be your name. But Jesus actually wants your victories and who your victor is to actually be who you are. Because once you know who Jesus is, you know who you are. And so can you imagine Joshua walking around the walls, the first one saying, Lord, you said you were going to make something great out of my life. And it kind of looked like a joke, to be honest. And can you imagine walking around your own life and saying, God, your promise said you were going to make something, but this lap of my life is betrayal and wounds. This, I didn't plan this out in my life. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want this to happen to me. I thought that would happen to somebody else, not me. I planned it out. I saw it completely different. I watched the movies as a kid. I see it. These are my expectations. How could this happen in my life? My prayer today is as we look at God taking things that you would never think that would be the ingredients to make something beautiful, the greatest maker of all time can take things that you could never, ever turn into victory. And he can take the bitter things, he can take the sweet things, and if you give it all to him and give him some time to do what he wants to develop, he can make something that everybody wants to enjoy. Your life is supposed to be fruitful to people, it's supposed to be enjoyable to people. And what this world wants to do is it wants to make you bitter to people. 
When I lived in LA, man, the world really does. It, just, it doesn't want to do anything except make you a spectacle. They don't make stars in Hollywood. They make spectacles in Hollywood. I remember living in LA and driving down to Malibu, and it was called Point Doom. It's this gorgeous part. A lot of stars live there. And I remember driving one day, hundreds, hundreds of photographers outside of a house. It's like, whose house is this? It was Britney Spears' house. And they just wanted another picture of the spectacle. There was not 100 people out there that wanted to help her, not 100 people out there that were trying to restore, not 100 people out there praying for her, 100 people of the world that don't know the Lord yet saying, all I want to do is make money off of you being a spectacle. But then there's this other movement that Jesus has called, and it's called the church, that when the world tries to maim somebody, we bring Jesus in to redeem him and to make him. And so we have three ingredients we're going to look at today. Three simple points that I believe that every person needs in their life so God can make the masterpiece, make the uh, delicious cake, if you will. We'll roll with this illustration the whole time. This is going to have legs, I promise. Um, three ingredients. The first one is, is that you need to have, you got to get yourself a king. And that's going to make sense in a second. So the first ingredient, you need to get yourself a king. And it's the king of kings. I'll give you a little heads up. Second one is you need to get in the oven. Get in the oven. It's called the desert season. Let the desert do its work. We're going to talk about that. And the last but not least, we say this a lot here, but I'll preach it to the rest of our days because it's so important to God. That's why he died. You need to get in community. You need to get in relationships. We're going to look at those three ingredients. And if you add those three things to your life, these are biblical principles that Jesus, the person of God, has shown in our life. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 25, uh, 21, 25, excuse me. Uh, and we are going to look at the last verse of Judges. The last verse of Judges. Now, just to give you a little heads up, uh, the book of Judges, uh, is my least favorite book in all the Bible. I don't like it. I, I would go as far as almost saying I, I can't even stand it. We actually, I don't even feel allowed to not like a book in the Bible, so we actually, as a staff, decided to share. I was like, who's least favorite book? And Caleb's actually was the book of James. I don't know how that's possible. Um, weirdo. Uh, talks about faith, humility. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's not even allowed here to uh, um, defend himself. Um, Caleb's one of the best people on the planet. Uh, we'll pray for him. Anyways, um, I, uh, I don't like the book of Judges. And so here's why I don't like the book of Judges. Let me unpack real quick uh, before I read the verse. It's 21 chapters of <sighs> betrayal, murder, selfishness, rape, death, defeat. And then throughout these 21 chapters, the people of Israel, when they're in the worst moment of their life, they are calling on God, God, why is this happening? We got to do something. And God, because he's so gracious, so kind, they'll call on God, and then God will send a person, Gideon, uh, Samson, somebody, uh, a prophet, to actually rescue the Israelites from the oppression. And so I'm reading chapter after chapter, and I don't know about you, but by the last chapter, you're hoping, you're hoping to see them make the turn and learn from their mistakes. But this is the last verse of Judges 21. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Stop. Everyone did as they saw fit. Is Jesus preeminent in your life or is he just an EMT in your life? Preeminence is this kind of big word, but really what it's saying is eminence is like royalty. Like he is the king. No, he is the king of all kings. Is he the leader of your life, or are you actually, just like the book of Judges, I don't know what chapter of life you're in, but you got to look at your life and say, nobody's caused you more pain, nobody's derailed you more than your own bad decisions, because you are doing what you see fit. Can you imagine, let's go back to the cake illustration, can you imagine if you were with God and he's starting to make the cake, make your life, and you go, whoa, whoa, no, th this is disgusting, don't put that in there, oh, gross, here's what I want, just put this in here and make my cake with these two things. Do it, God. I know what I'm doing. The sweet stuff's good. I don't want any of this. Protein, yuck. Just give me this, God, and boom, make my cake, and everything I want is that. 
you'll never have what you're supposed to have. If you live just for the pleasures of this world, you'll ever never become the person God's called you to be. Let's go even more extreme. Can you imagine all these ingredients right here? And you're like, you know what? I want to add a couple ingredients to this cake. I want you to add some WD-40, and I want to add some detergent, because WD-40 makes everything work. I use it on everything, okay? I do. It's awesome. Um, I have a Jeep Wrangler, and so I'm like, WD-40, you're welcome. Um, and so WD-40 and detergent, because detergent, I want this cake to be clean. I know what I'm doing, God. Just put it in the cake. You would say, you're crazy. That's poison. That's going to destroy. It's going to destroy the, the cake. But what happens in the book of Judges is they're saying, God, I want to add selfishness. I want to add my own way. I want to add um, betrayal. I want to hand, handle, um, I want to have revenge in my life. And so I'm going to add these things to my life and then just make it still a great thing. And the more and more I read Judges, I, I look back at my life and I look at my life in chapters because the Bible says he's the author and the finisher. And you need to hear some real quick. Whoever or whatever you give the most authority to will be the greatest author of your life. Whoever or whatever will be the greatest author of your life. If you give yourself the money, it will write your story. It will own your story. If you give your life to a person, it will own your story and write your story. If you give your life to a wound, whatever the authority of that wound you give, like everything you see through the lens, it will write your story. It will own your story. But if you give your life to Jesus, judges, they never gave themselves to God. And therefore, for 21 chapters, they never, ever had to turn around. And so the book of Judges would be really sad, but what I love about it is Jesus does come, and I don't live the book of Judges' life anymore. I actually get to live victory. Jesus will not be my EMT. He will be my king. He will be preeminent. And so how does that look in your life? I think one of the simple ways is to just see how you pray throughout the week. Are you praying for God to rescue your plans, or are you actually asking God for his plans for your life? When you go to the king, stop giving him the... I'm telling you, you're terrible at planning out your life. Trust me. I've tried so many times. I, I would never be in Walnut Creek, California. I would have never married Rachel. I would have never done these things. But because I gave my life to Jesus, my life is, Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly immeasurably more than I ever thought it could be. Your plan's good. God's plan's immeasurable, okay? So here's, here's a couple things I want you to catch real quick uh, as God is your king. So first, you have to let him lead you. Second thing is, he needs to be the biggest voice in your life. He needs to be the biggest voice in your life. So two verses I want to read you. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. He needs to be the one that leads you. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, while he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, uh, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Stop. Boom. He said, follow me. Let me be your leader. They left their nets. The nets could represent so many things. They left the comfort of what the nets represented in provision. They left their identity behind because they found their identity in their craft. They left whatever it was behind, and they said, now, I, whatever, this was, this was my story. For the rest of my life, I was going to be a fisherman. I was going to come out here every day, catch fish, make sure fish put uh, fish on the table, and then eat some more fish and smell like fish. This was my life. Instead, they dropped it and said, no longer does this have authority over my life. I'm going to follow him. This is one of the greatest decisions after salvation that you can make is not only is he just going to save my life, but he's going to lead my life. But then here's how he leads your life. This is when it gets good. He's got to have the biggest voice in your life. He's got to have the, the, his voice has to carry the most weight. Glory, it means weight. It's weighty. It's got to be the heaviest thing in your life. And here's what I mean by that. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from, uh, um, from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
I find this fascinating because what has Jesus done at this moment to hear these words? This is my son whom I'm well pleased. He was a kind of an abstract town, 30 years, comes out, gets baptized. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. If I'm writing the story, if, if, I, if I'm processing, I'm thinking, okay, that's going to happen when Jesus lives the three years, builds a great team, walks on water, uh, raises dead people to life, makes blind people see, does all these amazing things, and then he dies on a cross, then he conquers death, and when he conquers death, that's when I think the skies would open and God say, this is my son. Look at all the great things he did. I am well pleased. But for you actually to do all the things that you are called to do is that you need to know God is pleased with you already. I wrote down this quote, Tyler Johnson original. Uh, get, your, get, your, uh, get your note takes out. Here we go. Um, you'll be surprised how much you don't care when you know who cares. When I was single, I'm talking single, no potential out there. Like I was like, God, God, am I Paul? Am I not supposed to get married? I'm in my mid-20s. I'm working out two hours a day. Carbs were the enemy. I got down to 5% body fat. I was, I was focused because I was like, I got to find me girls. 25, single. 26, single. 27, single. 28, single. 29, Rachel. Okay, uh, we got married to Rachel. But here's what happens. You'll be surprised how much you don't care about carbs once you find out your wife actually likes you cuddly. My wife likes me. I, I, I have not been at seven years. Oh, I try so hard to care. I try so hard. Oh, Lord, I want to take care of my body. I want to work out. I want to be fit for you. And they're just like, let's stay home and watch you move. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to the gym. Oh, stay home. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you know? She's like, you're a statue. A statue of what? Okay? Definitely not David, all right? Uh, but I'm a statue um, because now my baby cares about me just being around. She don't care about me being ripped. I wish she actually was like, yo, you go to the gym and you get fit for me. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Um, I'll even say this. On Sunday, after I preach a message, all I want to hear is my baby girl say, my man slayed it. I'm like, yes, I did. Yes, I, I, don't, need, I don't need any more text messages. I'm fine. If my baby girl thought I did a great job, I killed it. I'm good. But you can still shoot me a text. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just at me on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is going to be flooded. No, it's, <laughs> it's going to go empty. Anyways, okay. So anyways, um, I want to catch this real quick. But when life gets really good, and when I've actually been the most free in ministry, is when I'm preparing my message, and when I'm becoming who God's calling me to be, is when I go, God, this message is for you. If you're pleased with it. If it glorifies your name. If you, if you want me to take an illustration out because it's silly, Lord, I don't want to put an illustration. I don't, I don't have to put a, just some silly illustration in there, Lord. I want every illustration, everything to point to you. Lord, this is yours. And after I pray for it and I just let the chips fall and I do everything God's calling me to be, I can go home and I sleep well. Oh, I'll never forget um, in my 20s and even sometimes still today, sometimes I'll, I'll get so frustrated on Sunday because I feel like I did a terrible job. And when you're trying to please everyone, you please no one, especially yourself. But when you try to please the Lord, there is a freedom in it. Because here's the deal. He's already pleased with you. This is, this is the, his voice in your life. When you allow him to have the voice in your life, he says, this is Tyler, whom I'm well pleased. I'm already killing it. I don't need to prove myself to anybody. It's amazing when you don't live your life to prove things to other people, but you live your life to glorify Jesus. It's amazing when the energy of your life is now out of this victory mindset, this I'm already a gangster, I've got confidence. You know that the confidence... In your life, on your, let me say it this way, the calling on your life, who you are, cannot be taken from you. Shows us in scripture. But you know what can be taken from you? Confidence. So you could have the greatest calling, 
You could, be, you could be designed in a way to do something you never thought you could do. God could make you into something, but the confidence in it, maybe it's a betrayal, maybe something happened in your life, maybe you made a mistake. The enemy wants to use that to take the confidence from your calling so you no longer walk around and be who you're called to be. I, I find it interesting. We're so worried about not being confident in our calling. Be confident in your calling. If you're great at business, I believe that's, there's a reason for it. If you're great with people, there's a reason for it. Walk with a swagger, not with a pride, but knowing where it comes from. Amen? So let's learn, actually, the last one. So uh, Jesus must become the, your king as he leads you. He must also be your biggest voice. And then let's take a little look at just how he assembled his team. How he assembled his team. So how did he assemble his team? When Jesus came on the scene, here are a handful of things that are just observations of how he assembled his team, the ingredients he put together. First one is it's, he chose the ones that were overlooked. He chose the ones overlooked. So society, I don't know about you, but... Most people I, I talk to, most people I know, they, a lot of them don't feel known. And our desire is to be known. That is a heart's desire that God put in your heart because he actually wants you to actually, almost like a homing beacon, that he would actually know you. So a lot, a lot of, all 12 disciples overlooked. They're overlooked by society. Second thing is, Jesus passed on those trained by traditional system. So he didn't go pick the religious people. He picked a bunch of different people from different backgrounds. Almost like a blank canvas. I, I actually wrote down a couple things. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were business owners. They were business owners. So God picked some business owners. Another thing he picked out, Matthew was a tax collector. I feel like being a tax collector back then was like working at McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Just the people that you would deal with, you know? I worked at Walmart, McDonald's for two years. I had Cajun McChickens thrown at me. Um, I didn't order any mayonnaise. Whoosh, and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me go remake it for you. Because again, when you're working in that kind of environment, you learn how to deal with people. I feel like my two years at McDonald's was getting me ready for this season of my life. <laughs> what, I'm just, I'm being real. You, you know the show Chopped? You ever seen the show Chopped? Me and Rachel watched the first two seasons and then you find out it's the same thing, you kind of get bored of it, but you're hooked for about a season and a half, at least I was. Chopped is you get all these ingredients. You get all these things, they go, okay, we're gonna give you these things, now go make something out of it. And they give you a thing. And they're like, okay. Well, here's what God does. He takes 12 ingredients, 12 different types of people. Different is good. Different is good. He says, give me everything of these men and watch what I form. Let the bakers bake and let the makers make. And so he makes a team that would change the world. And you got to say, man, if God can do that with a business owner, a tax collector, the sons of thunder, some people who are kind of fiery, kind of angry. I'm married to a fiery Italian. God uses fiery Italians. Come on now. This is what he does. And you may be saying, I don't know if I have the right ingredients for God to make what he's supposed to make in my life. Watch God work. I, I look at my life. Can anything good come from a kid who was born in poverty, abuse, worked at McDonald's, talks fast, let's just be honest, kind of mumbles sometimes. This is me. Uh, if you're wondering who I'm talking about. And I look back at my life, and God's using all of it. God is going to use all of it the wounds, the betrayal, the success. Do not, do not allow the enemy to think that what's happened to your life is forsaken. God weighs nothing. He is the greatest maker. Amen? So the next, uh, next one is you need to get in that oven. So we got, you got to get yourself a king. And then the second thing is you need to get in that oven. Isaiah 48.10, Isaiah 48.10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. I want you to hear them real quick. The desert, don't fight it. All of this gets mixed in a bowl. And if it just sat there, it'd never actually become what it's supposed to be. You take this ingredients, you mix it in a bowl, you put it in a pan, and you put it in the oven, and then you let the oven do its work. 
and it makes something that you can never make without the oven. Catch this real quick. The desert is for your destiny. The detour is for your destiny. <laughs> that, that delay is for your destiny. God is not punishing you. You look at the Israelites. He could have taken them a different route 11 days, but he took them on a detour because that detour is for their destiny. They never would have been who they were supposed to be. It's never about getting where you're supposed It's never about the do's, and it's never about where you're getting. It's about the who. It's about who you're becoming. It's the most important thing. The desert is for who you are and who you're going to become. Elijah and Elisha, he goes, Elisha goes, all right, Elijah, I'm leaving. What do you want? I want a double portion of whoever you are. Elijah gets it. Elisha gets it. He goes, he could have said, uh, I want to do amazing things. I want to do this. I want to do that. Elisha knows that it wasn't the do that made him great. It's who he was that made the do. You understand that? It's the person, the essence, and the spirit of the person is where all the do's come from. We fall in love with the do to make the who. No, the who makes the do. Is this making sense? Come on now. Because do and who, who and do. Like, um, but here's, what, here, here's what's the main thing is. Elijah says to Elisha, you've asked a very, very difficult thing. But if you see me, and you actually said the Hebrew, you look at the translation. If you see what I see, then you'll have a double portion. I want to hear this real quick. If you can see just a glimpse of what God sees, and if you can see what I've seen, you would believe that the oven and the desert is everything, and it's not a bad thing. You wouldn't hate the desert. You would realize God is doing something great in the desert. My own life, oh, I learned how to pray in the desert. Oh, I, I mean, I learned how to pray in the desert. They grow up in church, so I learned, like, the quick prayers. learned how to, like, say, like, kind of a fancy prayer, hold hands. And these are most of my prayers before a desert season. God, I want promotion. Uh, I want the Seahawks to win. Um, Lord, I pray that you send me a wife, illuminate her when she walks in. May she be awesome and pretty. Love you, Jesus. Amen. You know, those are my prayers. God, I pray for my uh, ministry. I pray it'd be awesome. Uh, I pray, you know, a ton of people get saved. Uh, Lord, that you would, you would use me. Uh, amen. And then I have the desert season of all desert seasons for my own life. Not saying it's your desert, but it was my desert. And then it was when I didn't even know what to pray anymore. I was actually angry at God. And so I remember walking around Burbank, California, bawling my head off, learning how to really pray. There's a psalm that David writes, and it's, it's a prayer of his. And it's kind of startling when you first read it. He's complaining. Why, God? You promised this. Why, God? Why? Just all these complaints to God. But for some of you, you know why you're not praising right now? Because you've got to complain first before you praise. God, God wants real praise. So bring your real frustrations. Let those digest with God. Give them to God. The desert expands the capacity of your life. There, there's these PSIs on pipes. If I could just use this illustration real quick. So if you have pipes that run through places, they have a PSI. There's a certain amount of pressure that can go through the pipe. And if it's too much pressure, the pipe explodes. Have you ever seen anybody explode? The pressure gets to you in life? Well, the desert, what happens is, is I think when we get saved, our capacity to love and receive love is like the size of a straw. And we still get offended easily. We still have big expectations. We don't really give love. We're still in Christianity for ourselves. We're selfish. And then you get into the desert and God explodes the little straw. And he takes you to the desert and he expands your capacity to receive love. He expands your capacity to really pray and actually to give love. Betrayal taught me how to love. Betrayal was not a sentence to me. It actually taught me how to forgive like I never knew I could forgive. It taught me empathy that I never thought I could have empathy with. Before I struggled with anxiety myself, I didn't understand it. I had no empathy for it. And then I went into anxiety. 
for a season. I'd wake up, and I'd be like, what is going on? I remember I'd be around a, pa- a group of pastors, and they'd say they're anxious. I'm like, you guys, just pray. You, don't you know who God is? Why, why are you anxious? I had no empathy. My capacity to give empathy was so small. And then I got anxious, and I prayed, and I still was still anxious. I was taking my own advice, and it wasn't working. And then when I went through that season, and thank you, Jesus, that it's behind me, but doesn't mean it doesn't flare up sometimes in my life. When I hear somebody say they have anxiety, my bandwidth to go, let's pray right now. My bandwidth to have empathy for them to say, we're going to walk through it together. Oh, my prayer for you is that you'd understand that, that the desert season isn't destroying you. It is making you the most loving, empathetic person that you can only be because of the desert. When Jesus is on the cross, this is pressure like no other. He is being squeezed like no other. What comes out of Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. When you start coming out of the desert and people hurt you and you pray prayers like that, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. When you start to have empathy for people that betray you and gossip about you, and you're going, I, they don't get it. God, forgive them. When you have that kind of PSI on your life, oh, let the desert do its work. Amen? And last but not least, get in community. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Get in community. I remember when I was uh, praying about our church and asking the Lord, Lord, I, I want to I have words, phrases that encapsulate a ton of verses because you can't read 20 verses on a Sunday every Sunday. And so one of the things we say all the time is Jesus died for relationship, so we're going to invest in it. This is the rhythm of the church. This is literally Jesus comes on the scene and all it's about is relationship, relationship with the Father and relationship with each other. This is why he came and died on a cross and still has us here today. It's for, we are relational beings. He created us for relationship. They did a study recently that in America, it'd be hard-pressed, the majority of people would be hard-pressed to find three friends that they could call on a hard day. Three close friends. We are in a um, time in our era where you have thousands of Facebook friends, where you have tons of followers, where you have tons of connections with people, but you really have no connections with anybody. So it says in Proverbs 27, 17, if you want to be made into everything you're supposed to be, this is one way that God will make you. As iron sharpens iron, I hate when a verse becomes so familiar, we forget really the power in it. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You are not going to become who you're supposed to be running away from people. You're not going to become who you're supposed to be running away from small groups and relationships. I, I just wrote down a ton of thoughts like this, and I'll say it this way. It's hard to see the significance in a coffee with somebody until you've had 10 coffees with them and a year later, and they're the ones you call when you had a hard day. It's hard to see the significance of going to a marriage small group for seven weeks and then signing up for it again until your marriage hits a hard spot and you've got 10 married couples rallied around you praying and helping you in that moment. It's hard to see the significance in a Bible study with five guys you don't know until what happens is, is you get so close to them that things that have been in the ingredients of your life, lust, anger, frustration at a father, you finally have a relationship with somebody you trust well enough to say, this is in my life. Will you walk with me? I need to bring it into the light. It's hard to see that significance. But throughout Jesus' life, he's trying to show you the most important things in your life is him being king, him doing what he needs to do. Give him time. Give him time in your life to do what he needs to do. And last but not least, allow people who love the Lord to get in your life to help everything that's supposed to uh, be in your life. And I'm just going to read a verse and we'll be done. I have like seven endings. This is my ending, I promise. Uh, 
You said you were done 10 times ago. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, uh, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Stop. If you're going to hire somebody to make a statue of yourself, it'd be weird, but just roll with me. And you could hire me, which to be honest, like at the very end, it'd be like this. Um, Or you could hire Michelangelo. Still alive today. If he was still alive today, you'd hire Michelangelo to make a statue of yourself. You would hire Michelangelo. Very, very easy decision. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, let's, let's, uh, if you could have the best meal of your life, if you wanted me to make it, it would be, my trademark right now is uh, peanut butter English muffin. You're welcome. A little bit of butter, a little bit of peanut butter, and then some salt on top because I got a salt tooth. Um, it's my breakfast right now. Or how about Thomas Keller? Thomas Keller is the chef of all chefs. Uh, French Laundry is his. It's uh, one restaurant of the world, but his sous chefs go on to have three-star Michelin chefs. He's the chef of all chefs. If you could pick between me and him, you'd pick him. I think the biggest thing that you need to understand is, I think throughout the week, you either pick yourself or you pick Jesus to build your life. And the other two makes, it's such a duh. Of course you're going to pick Michelangelo and Thomas Keller. But for some reason, we've been so deceived by the enemy that we think that we actually know how to do it better than Jesus. Adam and Eve, build your own life. Eat the fruit. God's holding out on you. It's the first deception that God does not have his best for you. That's what he's trying to say to to you every day, the enemy. Allow Jesus to build your life. Choose him. Wake up, make my life today. I don't want to come with my plans. I want to enter the plan that you have for my life be my author and finisher. I'm going to go back to Judges. It's very simple. 21 chapters of pure death and grossness. I lived in a family that was Judges, basically. Aunts and uncles, everybody divorced, suicide, depression, you name it. And I remember looking at it and saying, who is going to break the cycle? And I remember getting saved and saying, okay, Lord, may my family, may my kids when Rachel and I have Michael Jordan Johnson, I'll say it all the time, come on. When, my, when Michael Jordan Johnson is birthed, May his chapter one, may his chapter one take after the the, the gospels, that he would know nothing about the book of Judges, that he doesn't have those chapters. I have Judges chapters in my life, but my kid, we're breaking the cycle in the Johnson family because I'm not building my house, God's building my house. You have to decide who will build your house. What kind of legacy will you leave uh, leave your family? What kind of cycle will you birth? Even this season, It's season to season. What cycle will you birth? Will you bow your heads?